So you, you, you asked me to talk about something to do with the relationship between water security and, um, and development and poverty reduction. So uh, what I want to do, first, I want to ask you as a question if it's possible. Can you think of a country for, uh, in which water management is absolutely central to their development? Any time now, it can be now or in the past. Uh, can, can you sort of shout out a couple of countries that you can think of where, where without managing their water very carefully, they couldn't exist? Well, you'll have, you'll have to manage their hands on your end. <laughs> Australia. Australia. Hmm? Yeah. Yemen. Yemen, well. Yeah, Yemen is, Yemen you'd hope, you would hope that they would do it, yeah. Uh, any others? Libya. Libya, yeah. Israel. Israel, exactly. Well, my main message now here is that, uh, and I, I think if we look in history, we can also think of, you know, Mesopotamia, Iran and Iraq, um, where they had to sort of manage the floods and the droughts very carefully from, from ancient times, and also probably Egypt. Um, my main message to you guys is that more countries are going to have to become like Australia and Israel. We can also think of Holland. Um, you know, I'm sure you've all heard the little, when you were kids, had the little story of the little boy with the finger in the dike. Um, I think that more countries are going to have to become like that, where water management is absolutely central to their development process. At the moment, we've got you know a small number of countries that where water really matters, and then lots of other countries where they just kind of give it to some sectoral engineers and, and let them get on with it. And what I believe, and what I think my institution believes, is that development and poverty reduction will not take place unless a substantially larger number of countries make water central to their development challenge, which means the Prime Minister caring about it, not just the engineering water minister guy. Um, if you think about water security, it means a whole bunch of different things. In Holland, it means not having too much. In Australia, it means having enough water and in the right place. Um, in, in from, from, from billions of people, uh, it means just having having water available of, of a reasonable quality. Um, 2.6 billion people in the world do not have any kind of toilet. Um, and diarrhea kills more kids than or more people than AIDS, malaria, and TB combined. So just a very basic um, ability to get a decent amount of water to people and then remove the dirty water from them. Um, is a central development challenge. I mean, it always amazes me that we all think about health um, and, and do very little on sanitation. Um, there's also an international dimension, obviously. I mentioned Egypt. Um, you know, Egypt's one of Egypt's biggest security challenges. It, 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 it challenges is its relationships with its neighbours, related to what they do with their dams. In the Tigris Euphrates, you've got the Turkey uh, upstream Turkey powerful country. Uh, with an ability to affect Syria and Iraq and, and downstream, which is has very important international repercussions as well. So, as the world moves from right now having six billion, having nine billion people who all need food, who all need to be protected from from floods and droughts, as as the world urbanises increasingly rapidly, two thirds of the population near the coast um, now, the vulnerability, the impact of an event can become much more great now with the concentration of assets and of people in vulnerable areas. Um, I, think, I think it's a quarter of the world's population lives in river deltas, some, maybe not a quarter, maybe a bit, but anyway, a very large amount, lives in river deltas. Again, increasingly vulnerable to floods and droughts. And as we get richer, as we, as we urbanize, 
the potential impact of those drugs and drugs increases greatly. Um, so, so basically that's what, you know, that, that's the, the message I wanted to raise. And just, I have a PowerPoint here which you can't see, so <laughs> just making sure I don't forget. Okay, another crucial issue um, is, en is energy. We had, uh, the World Bank has, and, uh, do you guys know what the World Bank is? Would it be useful if I said anything about the World Bank? You know what it is? I can see a couple of notes. Do you want me to say what it is? Yes. The person at the front is saying yes, everyone else is saying nothing, so I'm going to do it. Um, basically, the World Bank is like a giant cooperative. It's owned by 182 governments. Um, the finance ministers of each country are our board members, and um, our objective is poverty reduction. And so we have a bunch of policies and rules, and we, we basically lend money at market terms to middle-income countries, which are countries with an income of a, between $1,000 per, I think it's $1,200 per capita, and um, about five or 6000 and there are some exceptions. Um, and we lend money on, on market terms, but we are AAA credit rated, so we can borrow the money cheaply, put a markup on it, and still lend it in, in more favorable terms than the countries could receive on the, uh, on the markets. For very poor countries, which are basically those with less than $1,200 per capita, um, we have a big pool of money that we also lend, but we lend at a very minimal interest rate, so it's, it's a very highly subsidized loan. Um, and we have other things. We do some amounts of grant giving work. We, we manage funds for other organizations, but, but we are essentially a bank. And um, no, I've lost my train of thought while I was telling you about the bank. But, uh, oh yeah, um, energy. We have an annual meeting every year, and, and, uh, and all the finance ministers from all the countries come. And in the last one, uh, all the African finance ministers had a meeting, and every single one of them stressed energy as their key development priority. Now, we could, sit, we could argue whether they're right or wrong in doing that, but that is what they did. Um, and energy security, and I don't know how many of you have seen that map of the world at night, uh, which has all the lights, you know, and it has like North America all bright, and Europe all bright, and then a big, you know, gaping hole in Africa uh, where there's very little light. And if we're going to, you know, redress that imbalance of energy security, there are countries in Africa that have less power generation capacity than the building I work in. Um, and if we're going to address those kinds of inequalities, um, it's absolutely essential to explore hydropower. Hydropower um, generates 20% of the world's energy. It's a low carbon energy and it's a renewable energy. It has, of course, some implications, bad ones, but it is going to be essential to explore that. And doing it right, rather than doing it wrong, or, you know, minimizing the damages that it causes will be, will be an essential part of that. If you look at Africa, which has 93% unexploited hydropower potential, you also see the continent which has more countries per basin than any other region, and more basins per country than any other region. So this international diplomacy around managing water is going to become increasingly, increasingly important. Um, so, the message would be, you know, as the world urbanizes, the basic, uh, the basic services become increasingly important. It's okay if everybody, it's not okay if everybody um, defecates in the field in rural areas, but it's better that they do it in rural areas than they do it in urban slums. And the fact that, you know, like I said, 2.6 billion people don't have any place to defecate in any place safely um, is, a, is a human health catastrophe that needs to be addressed. 
and becomes more important with urbanization and, and development. The food security objectives that we all have require a massive increase in water management. And the, the competition for water resources is really between the environment and agriculture. I'm sure all of you know that agriculture uses 70% of the world's water. Um, and that um, the, everybody gives priority to urban water first because that's what people are. It's a very small amount of water, but everybody prioritizes that uh, rightly. But it does mean that the uh, use of water in agriculture is complicated. And in water-scarce countries, including Australia, um, the tendency has always been to not allocate environmental water to wetlands and forests and environmental services in general. Um, Australia and Chile, which is another uh, water-scarce country, recognized that they had over-allocated their water and they needed to pull back some of the um, allocations from agriculture and give it to the environment. Um, other countries are going to need to address that as well. So there's going to be a real competition between agriculture and, and environmental services for, for, for scarce water. Um, and then the other point is energy. We'll never be able to meet our energy security goals unless we do a better job with water management. Um, the, the lessons from Australia, Israel, the Netherlands, and other countries, uh, Singapore would be another one we could say that has, has done a good job of achieving its water security for itself. The lessons from those countries are very much that one has to balance one has to balance investment in information, which means getting information in and also getting it out, making sure people can use it, read it, are educated about what that information tells them, because that's the only way to get good governance. Um, the second thing they have to balance is um, investment in uh, infrastructure, obviously. You have to build things, you have to have some sort of storage, you have to be able to recharge your aquifers, accelerate the recharge of aquifers, you have to be able to have pipes that take water to people and pipes that take dirty water away from people. Um, and there's also an investment in what we call institutions, which basically means people who can set the rules of the game and enforce the rules of the game. So make sure that people don't cheat, make sure that people don't overextract from the aquifers, and make sure that people don't discharge dirty water into the wrong places, etc., etc. And those are very huge challenges. So the, the message that we often have for our government, and Lydia is a great example of that, is you can't spend your way out of this problem. You do have to spend, but you can't spend your way out of it. And then I think, uh, so we, we always look at this balancing of three R's, the information, the institutions, and the investment. But I think there is a fourth R um, that is going to turn a lot of this progress um, make it go much faster, accelerate it, and, and, I, and possibly also make it um, a much more democratic process. And that fourth I we call innovation. Uh, I think the, the information technology revolution is not yet being exploited in water management, but there are a few isolated examples of where it is, and it's amazing. I mean, uh, just like one example, there's an NGO called, I'm going to get its name on I think it's called Takewa. Hang on, I'm going to find it. Uh, oh no, which persuaded Nokia to give it a, a certain amount of time of SMS message time in the middle of the night, which, which Nokia didn't need anyway. Um, with, that, with that time, they sent SMS message blasts out to local constituents um, when a particular government official was going to come to that area. And that message would say, in the case of Walker, would say, you know, um, whatever, 56 uh, shillings per capita have been spent on water in your district. Your government is coming tomorrow to, to, to open a new plant. 
And then people would say, well, where is this sending? You know, we don't see it. Well, there is a pump and it's not working. And they, they're saying to call their government officials to account. Uh, it also works for Nokia because people are always forwarding those messages to their friends, so they make money as well. Um, and there are lots of these small initiatives now taking place that are allowing people to not only manage their resources, which is very important, to manage their time, to manage the level of effort that they have to put in. You know, there are these nice uh, websites that can, that can allow people to check in whether the well's working, the pump's working on the well before they actually walk 10 miles, you know, with their, with their buckets. Um, and, and can make a big difference in the quality of people's lives, but also can force governments to become accountable for what they're doing to their citizens. And I think that that fourth eye of innovation may uh, speed up progress uh, and, and allow us to bring water more centrally to, uh, to the development process. So I think I'll leave you with that, because I know it's hard to listen to a, a disembodied voice for a while. Thank you. Thank you. 